it was a mistake. <laughs> it's really interesting because for a long time, it was a source of a lot of shame. It's an ongoing process of softening, of self-acceptance, discovering that the moment that you direct love and compassion towards the parts of yourself that you have shamed yourself for is the moment that there's this space for grace to slip in. It's like resilient. A lot of that is in my genes. It's like it's ancestral, that strength. Shame is a powerful driver. It's like, I have something to prove, I'll show you. It was not the Bond Street company credit card, lunches at Hakazan and no, it was up till three in the morning, 16,000 greeting cards on the floor and just being full on that. And welcome to Everyday Leadership, a podcast where you get to listen and learn how to lead yourself personally and professionally through the lessons and life experiences my guests share in the hope that it challenges and inspires you to lead yourself from the inside out and not the outside in. Welcome to another episode of Echo Leadership. And today I'm going to start the podcast slightly differently. I'm going to start it with a quote from my guest's book. And it reads, some of us on this earth are the candles and the lanterns, flickering lights occasionally pointing out the way in this vast tunnel that is life. The understanding we show to our young, to those less able, and to the alienated. Surely this must be the only true meaningful contribution man can make one to another, or one to the other. My guest wrote that. Um, which was a quote from her dad. And I'm going to ask her to introduce who she is, what she's about, and there she can give us her name. Thank you for sharing that quote. It feels really apt to hear my dad's words. Um, Thank you for that. Um, Who I am? Who am I? I am... A woman who is always growing. I'm not who I was yesterday. I'm not yet who I'll be tomorrow. Um, and in this moment, I feel incredibly blessed to have to be living a life that's full of contrast. Um, a big life, big life, and not always easy. As full of as much as full of challenge as it is with highs and bliss um my name is jessica huey i'm the author of purpose i'm a publicist um and an entrepreneur wow i love that it's interesting when people introduce themselves and people who have lived great magnanimous lives should i say they don't go to the accolades they don't go to the spaces and places they've worked with who they've worked with they go to what means something to them and that's why for me, I was like, I'm always interested. How do you introduce yourself? Let us, let's go back to a younger Jessica. Um, let's go back to high school, Jessica. When you got expelled from school, what was that in regards to? Oh, it was a mistake. <laughs> the mistake that I made. Um, yeah. And it's really interesting because it's, um, for a long time, it was uh, the source of a lot of shame. 
So I'll share it with you now because it, I think it's important to when we recognize those things that, you know, that kind of shame that we carry around for things where we, um, you know, you get to a point where you realize you aren't the thing, you know, you aren't your, your series of mistakes or um, that's something that you do, you've done or you do and, and not who you are. And so it was work experience and it was take your daughter to work day. And I had, um, I think for whatever reason, I didn't have anything in place. And I ended up going to work in a department store close to the school. And um, I had my first boyfriend at the time. And for whatever reason, you know, I was a teen who was, my teen walls were a struggle. You know, I, I really didn't have a strong sense of who I was you know like most teenagers you're all trying to work out who you are and there's that pressure to fit to belong um and I ended up so I was working in the trainer department you know sneaker department of um, this department store and uh I stole a pair of trainers for my first boyfriend and I got caught I got caught and so I was expelled for that and um you know apart from that I'd been this great I've been a great student academic um doing well in terms of grades you know into all of the kind of the drama club and the dance club um and my head headmistress at the time I remember she sent me this note apologizing for the fact that she needed to make an example of me and explaining how much potential that I had and um, that she wishes she didn't have to make that decision. And it was only sort of many years later that I kind of looked back and realized that actually I was really failed by the system. You know, on the contrary, for so long, you know, as I, 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 carried, I sort of carried this shame around it, but actually looking back, um, you know, I believe that the education system, you know, our public sector systems, institutions have a responsibility to care for um, and see beyond the things sometimes, see beyond, um, yeah, and, and I think in that, because of that was the moment that I really fell outside of the school system um, and it wasn't necessary, you know, it really wasn't um necessary so you know everything happens for a reason but it's it's fact I think it's more interesting for me to reflect on how my relationship to what happened has shifted over the years to, to one from blame to compassion you talked about the fact that it's it's taken you a while um, to reconcile the past and have that compassion for yourself for something that you did as as a kid and I guess I would love to hear from you what what it took for you to start to reframe and start to look at things very, very differently because there are a lot of adults I talk to now who have incidents that happened when they were a lot younger and they still shape the narratives, they still shape the stories they tell themselves now. It was always good to be able to learn from someone who's actually started to do things and look at things very differently. I think it's an ongoing process of sort of softening you know, softening um, of self-acceptance. Um, you know, I've done a lot of I'm, uh, personal, I guess personal de development is, is the most important thing in my life because it 
informs and impacts every relationship that I have from, you know, mother to, you know, a leader to, to all of it. And, and yet, so for so many years, a huge part of that personal development was devoted to, to doing stuff like to learning, to, um, acquiring in a way the same, like the same, um, approach that I'd applied to success in my life before purpose, before I wrote my book purpose. Cause I, I kind of see, you know, you talked about the chapters, the way that I live with chapters and I kind of see the, the, the big chunk of a chapter pre-purpose and then multiple chapters after. And yeah, I, I think I applied the same force to my personal development that I did to my career and the difference has been in shifting from acquiring and doing to releasing, to letting go of, and to um, coming to accept and like draw in all of the parts of me, all of the pieces of me, and and yeah, like shine love in the places that I'd been chastising myself. That's been the most impactful thing in my growth and like discovering that the moment that you kind of direct love and compassion towards the parts of yourself that you have shamed yourself for is the moment that there's this space for grace to slip in and like the liberation that comes from that has been yeah like yeah just game-changing Honestly, just listening to you now, it sounds like such a, you know, you walk around with a, a backpack and your bag and it's got loads of different rocks in it from different things that have happened to us over the years and we carry that with us. And it sounds like in a metaphorical way, being able to just unpack and let go of that bag and be free to just fly and move forward a lot, a lot quicker, which is not easy to do because that requires you sitting with yourself and exploring and analyzing and getting to that state and that place of compassion and I love what you said around in a sense reconnecting a different part of yourself because actually where I see things a lot of times we are we as individuals are great but we tend to disconnect some of some of our greatness because of the things that we go through you are someone who has in a sense, risen to the different challenges and circumstances that life has, has thrown at you. At 17, you were, you were a single mom. You have a, an amazing, beautiful um, daughter. But at 17, navigating that space where two years ago you just got expelled, now you got, you got a child, and then going on to still get your education and step into the success that we're going to come to shortly, that was remarkable turnaround and change for you to have that different mindset you know initially the, the tools that I used not consciously you know I used I drew on what I had at that point in my life in my teens you know it's like resilience grit um and 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 you know a lot of that is in my genes it's like it's ancestral that strength But there's also the shame, you know, shame is a powerful driver. It's like, 
I have something to prove. I'll show you, you know, you either let it swallow you up and you're on the floor or you fight. And I had that fighting spirit, like, because I had a little person, um, who was a huge catalyst, but I also had, I'd always had something. There was a fire that had always been inside of me and at that point it was really it was fear it was lack it was not enoughness that was the thing that had me stay up till the early hours to study you know it was not enoughness that had me go the extra mile do the extra internship because i was on a mission to show everybody like angry rage like you what <laughs> you know and that will get you so far like that will take you to a certain point of success and actualizing results in the world until it starts to eat you up. And then you need a new set of tools if you want to continue to, to grow and ascend and create. And that really is the journey, I think, of, of con continuously assessing whether or not the tools that I'm currently working with are aligned with the next iteration of me and who I'm here to be. Yeah. And then letting go of the old ones and creating, being in the void of the person that you were and not quite who you're becoming and being in faith in that space of like non-identity. Sounds quite deep. <laughs> but yeah, it really is though. It's deep, yeah. It is it's deep because when, I, when, I, when you think about what you just said right now, you basically took anger, fear, and shame, and you refined them into, I'm going to say like a, a weapon or tool that drove you forward. And you like, you left no crumbs. Like when I said drove you forward, you were working in a major organization. You were working with high profile clients. You were flying all around the world. You are doing the thing that most people in a sense crave. So you managed to turn something, I guess negative when people look at it, when we talk about fear, anger, shame, you managed to turn something negative into something positive. And yes, like I said, it sustained you for a point up until he no longer did. But someone would listen to you talking like, well, you know what? If I can use the lies of fear, anger, and shame and help me get to the heights that you got to working and rubbing shoulders with the echelons of people in society who are seen as the ones to know and wants to be around. Surely that's a good life, isn't it? I don't, I, you know, I have nothing but love for that young woman. Like, nothing but love for her because you, you, you can only operate at the level of consciousness that you... You know that you can that is available to you at any given time and and that's where i was at and and if anything i have great admiration for the strength you know oceans of strengths and and gratitude for the support that was around me and the blessings that showed up you know all along the way was it a great life yeah 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 to a point um but there's a beautiful, and I always forget who, I think it might have been Marianne Williamson, who said, we're only privy to the values of the paradigm we subscribe to. And what that meant, means to me, how I interpret that is, 
yes, that was a great life for the level of consciousness that I was operating at that point. At that point, it was about survival. It was about creating opportunities for myself and therefore being able to give my daughter a better life. Um, it was being able to put the ladder down and bring other people who'd come from, you know, the council estate background like me, you know, when at that point, the whole conversation around representation and diversity, it wasn't, wasn't like it is today. Like it was, you know, I was the only person of color in my office. I was the only state educated woman in my office. And, you know, then with colorblind cards, that was a whole new level of conversation around the importance of seeing ourselves represented. And so that wasn't kind of new. Like it wasn't, we weren't talking, having those conversations then. So yeah, that was success you know, but, but when you know different, you have to do different, right? And then new tools come into play. It would be irresponsible for me to, you to, 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 to not, to take that as a driver into my life today, you know, and I know better. Your drive created opportunities for the people, your drive and your zeal raised awareness in an area i mean colorblind cars was 2006 so this is 20 17 years ago <laughs> so a very a very very different climate um to way things were where things were then and i'm sure even at that point in time you'll have faced a lot of um pushback people like why are you why are you doing this why are you stepping into into this space why are you raising the awareness why are you talking about race and and cards i mean you have a lot to to lose especially the reputation you had at that point in time coming from the agency that you came from were you worried were you scared or you just felt like i had to go ahead and do this i never really looked at it that way i mean i think i was so i, I think there was a fearlessness about youth and and also it, it came from such a place of love like it came from me you know that business idea came from me looking for something for my daughter that didn't exist you know brown skin princess and it, it wasn't there and I wanted it to be there for her and for other children and I knew there'd be other parents having the same dialogue and that there was it was just so full of love it was so pure that it never even occurred to me yeah any of those kind of fearful thoughts about what I might have to lose or staying in my lane it, it just was mine it came to me it was it was mine to birth you know and so on that, I think that was really my first experience of what for me has come to be to be true purpose, which is stepping into of who you really are. You know, that moment that you shift from living through the lens of external validation to your calling in that, you know, in that moment in that department store, it was like, this is all you, Jess, like you're going to, you're going to go or you're not going to go, you know? And I went, and as a result, you know, that's the, 
hands off the steering wheel, suddenly you're being taken, your life is being taken in a direction which was not your plan. You know, it was not the Bond Street company credit card, lunches at Hakazan and Nobu. It was up till three in the morning, 16,000 greeting cards on the floor, me, my kid, couple of girlfriends, putting them into cello bags, you know, and like for, for like 16p, you know, per margins per card, like, and just being full on that, you know, and so it, no, the fear had no room to get in. I look at the contrast between what you just described, go from Noble and Hakkasan to be up at three o'clock in the morning um, and 16p margins. It's two complete worlds apart. What, when you talked about love and you talked about the purity of colorblind cards, where did that main shift happen for you? And when, when you decided that I had to leave and step away from my former life and step into this. So it took a year. I, I worked for a year. I continued with my, the agency I was working at, you know, and which I, I'm so grateful for, you know, it gave me such a, an insight into a world that, you know, I hadn't had access to. And that was the foundation for my media career, which, you know, so I'm, I have lots of gratitude for that. And, you know, I was a, a single parent, so I needed to, I couldn't, Colorblind wasn't earning enough to sustain me. So I continued to work there for a year and did both. Um, so it took a year and, and there was also, I needed to find the confidence, I guess, in myself to make a success of the idea. Um, and then eventually what I did was I left the agency and started my own PR agency. So a year after starting Colorblind, I started JHPR and then I had both businesses and JHPR was like the investor in Colorblind. Um, and then I was out on my own. You started that agency, you started Colorblind Cards, you won, you won a lot of awards at that point in time and you were at through the height, the height of your career at that point in time anyway. And then your dad got ill. And um, you stepped away and you, you looked after him. And that's, for the reading of your book, that's where purpose kind of came, came about. And initially I thought, it was when you started looking after your dad was when you started to develop a new set of tools. But as I listen to you talk now, it sounds like that development had already, something already started to shift for you. Is that, am I correct in, in that assumption now? Yeah. I mean, I think it's always there, isn't it? And I think it kind of bubbles up and you, there's layers to it too. There's, no, definitely. I mean, my, I remember being in the agency even before I'd started Colorblind. And at this point, you know, I'm 25, 26, earning disproportionately more than most 
you know, young women in PR um, at that time, just living, you know, the life and just a life away from where I'd started. You know, I was still, there was still lots of contrast. I was living, you know, um, uh, social housing and, you know, there was still contrast, but I was, um, it, you know, the hard work had paid dividends. But I was still having this kind of internal like conflict between like a knowing deep down around who I was and the environment that I was operating in. Like I, that was coming up as early as 25. Um, and it was loud. It was a loud voice, which I have never been able to stuff down for too long, like my truth. And that's been hard. That's been hard because I, sometimes I've been like, oh, give me a minute. <laughs> what, was the, what was the voice saying? It's been, it said different things. Like, this isn't you, you know, you know, you know, this environment relationship, you know, um, job, career path, country, isn't you. Like, you've got to come over here. You've got to step out. You've got to leap let go speak up it's always a move towards truth and most of the time I am not I, I don't feel quite ready for it and yet that's that's what it is isn't it it's been a and I think that's you know when you said you live your life in chapters I think that's a result of that constant call to closer to truth what feels true for me not the truth like my truth in a newspaper article you described yourself as ambition driven and addicted to work when i listen to you and i read those words it's so hard to relate to the person i'm speaking to right now And um, I'm curious, when you started working, when we started to look after your dad and start thinking about the book, that shift that you made and spending time with him in a completely different setting and environment, from a, an emotion and mental perspective, how did that, I'm going to say, help you to start to listen more to the voice and rather than dull it down create the space I guess to even make it louder and louder for it to really cause the change that eventually took place with you I think the first thing was um the space of presence that it you know it catalyzed because the you know the person that you are closest to in the world um in some ways is preparing to depart you know um and I just remember feeling like I wanted to honor like it felt like a privilege to be able to be there for him you know as he was you know dying and um I wanted to honor it and 
So it felt very natural to, you know, the things that had held so much importance just kind of naturally, you know, it's, it's, it's like, I think life and death, like birth and death, there's something about mortality and, you know, when people are diagnosed with serious illness or, you know, have somebody float very close that they're, they're caring for and they're in that process with them or newborns, you know, new birth that just cuts through everything that isn't real and delivers you into this place of like truth and present and the reality that the only thing that is really real and true is, is like the cycle of life and, and love and that's what it did. It just took me into this space of presence and, um, and as a result, I, yeah, I guess I sort of woke up. It's difficult to, 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 to put words to, um, I've always found it easier to write the things that are most, you know, kind of beyond language, but it was a transformative, incredibly spiritual awakening period in my life on multiple levels, which just, yeah, changed me. And as a result, I, you know, when my father passed on or his body passed on, a huge part of who I'd identified with went with him. If you haven't already, can you please follow the podcast? It really helps us grow and it tells the apps that it's the podcast worth listening to which the fact that you're listening to means that it is and other people need to know about it. In Apple Podcast, if you click the three dots in the top right of your app, look for the follow button and click on it. And in Spotify, the follow button should be just below the show's artwork. Now let's get back into today's episode. What did your dad, what lessons, main lessons did he teach you? Because he came from Jamaica, 50s, um, there's a nut in him, I believe, and there's a bus driver there. Um, first black bus driver at that point in time. And he went through, obviously, he had mounted 50s, hard times as a, as a black man. And I'm always curious, like, what did you take from the, the wealth and the wisdom and the love that he gave you? It's interesting because it's only when you, you know, you, um, described him as a, a, a the first black bus driver in Nottingham which he was and I noticed my you know like I wanted to so to say I wanted to jump in and say well he was qualified to teach which he was in Jamaica and it's like that thread of um you know that was a real journey for him that he went through I guess and and perhaps never quite made peace with but that thing around equating our our value to our identity or to what we do or to what we do for a living you know that 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 was always uh, a real journey for him because I know that he felt um that he didn't achieve in a worldly way the things that he could so easily have done you know he was such a brilliant man really brilliant man very wise very very intelligent um, and actually, you know, what we got as children, which I'm, you know, really grateful that I was able to communicate to him before he passed was 
It was the more important stuff, the biggest stuff. It was the, the deepest stuff. It was like, you know, to thine own self be true, like prize that above all, all else. And, you know, I watched him release friendships and he used to say, you know, there are a hundred people this close to my heart, 50 this close, 20, 10, five. And like those kind of principles for living, you know, I, I'm still, I'm still, um, learning and remembering, um, and he was a human, you know, with all of the complexities and that's also a part of the journey to come to really see the, the, your, our parents, uh, in, in the fullness of their rounded humanness, right? Like, so take them off the pedestal and just to kind of, yeah, make, make peace with all of it, make peace with all of it because, um, we're all doing the best we can, right? Yeah. Parenting is, is the hardest, the hardest job in the world. Kids never, in fact, I'm going to lead into that for a bit. You, you have your daughter, you have your son. You've got that example from, from your dad. What was it like for you in particular becoming becoming a mother um, and then navigating that space of you finding yourself and having to, I guess, teach and model um, to your daughter coming up at the same time? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Monet. <laughs> she turned out amazing. So, you know, like, you can't, you can't say that. You know, it, it works. No, it, it's, it's, it's all perfect, right? It's all perfect. <laughs> and the reality is I did the best that I could with what I had. And, and, and there was always the desire. There was always a real desire to do the best. And I just, I had so much healing to do. I had so much healing to do. And... And was also trying to, you know, to create practically and build. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy. And and, and I think my, it's really interesting to have an 11 year old as well. And a 24 year old, you know, I'm a completely different parent. Um, and it's still not easy. Um, and he challenges me in new and different ways. Annie has a mother who has, you know, done a lot of, of, of work. So internally, um, and continues to prioritize that. So, yeah, I, I'm at peace with it. You know, I really, I really believe that, you know, for so long I wanted to jump in front of any obstacle or challenge. I wanted my daughter to have an easier time than I'd had. You know, I worked hard, sent her to private school, um, which was really hard to maintain at certain points in, in, in my, in my, life as a young mom um and wanted her to be exposed to you know the world and and sometimes i i i was too extreme with that trying to cost it her and protect her from life because that's a balance and but i've just come to realize that like you know the challenges that we get from 
our upbringing and everything that life presents us with that that's our path like that's the very thing that we get to transmute and transcend and like learn through so I'm at, I'm at peace with it and I'm you know I feel very grateful that we we still have a very close relationship and that's everything right like in the end it's like that's what matters so you went to Jamaica a number of years ago and none of you in fact what was what instigated the mood and what was it like being there the last couple of years with your son growing up there so it's been three it's three years next month and i can't believe it and as we prepare to come back like i'm really reflecting you know i'm just massively reflective and oh i felt called to come and i realized i was also escaping running in some ways i think from from feeling things i didn't want to feel from feeling things i didn't want to feel and i don't think i'm unusual in my fact i know i'm not unusual in that i think most of us build our lives in a way to protect against feeling things we don't want to feel. I consciously, not consciously. And, um, you know, we use all sorts of ways and, and people and situations to numb and distract from just being with what is. For me, it was the pandemic, right? And it was that early part of the pandemic and George Floyd had just been murdered and I had made the decision to end my marriage and that had been one of the things that had unfolded from the period of caring for my dad it was one of the things that kind of came up as I, I wasn't the same person anymore and you know I'm very very grateful and I feel blessed that that you know the ending of that marriage um was as amicable as it could be, you know, it, it really was. And I think it's testament to the man, to, to him and, and to the care between us and the love between us, actually. But nonetheless, I was in, you know, that void I mentioned, that space of unbecoming. Then the pandemic hit. In equal parts, I felt called to Jamaica. I wanted my son to have an experience of, of being the majority as a black boy. Um, it felt necessary in a world where, you know, as I said, George Floyd just won, right? Had just been murdered. And the whole, you know, we were, the, we were all present enough to really feel the impact of that in a way that I think for the black community, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't new to feel the impact, but suddenly the world was, had stopped, um, And it felt like something I could control. How can I, how can I, like, how can I, what can I do to support my little boy 
in a world where this is the reality. Well, I can cultivate his his sense of self, you know, and and pour have, have the environment pour into him in a way that he is so self assured and he knows who he is. He knows where he's coming from, so that the world can't shape that. So there was that. I needed to be by the ocean. I needed to be in nature. It just felt like where I, I needed to go to heal. And I just had a real sense of being boxed, which we were in many ways and paying all this money to live in these boxes, <laughs> you know, and like needing space, just needing to feel connected. I remember this moment of like being in my little garden, grateful to have the space, trust me. Uh, but and my plants were in pots and I just remember feeling at that point so connected because I really lent in as so many of us did to my you know my spiritual practice my meditation my yoga like I was so in my body and connected that I remember feeling that the plants wanted to be rooted into the earth these plants that were in these pots like needed to be rooted like and I was like I need to be rooted I need my socks off barefoot feet in the soil to feel that connection to what's real while this whatever it is unfolding here with all of the bizarre politics and decision making and that was 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 unfolding through that I, I needed to go to what was true so I did and yeah 16 weeks later we were on the plane um my daughter made the decision to stay. Uh, and now three years on, we're both coming back, um, grown up. <laughs> Being connected with, I'm going to call it the earth, with home, having your son grow up the last three years in that environment. How did you then go about filling that void? and getting whole again, I wouldn't put it that way. So, you know, there's a line in, in my book, trip back is where we meet ourselves. And our first experience of relocating to Jamaica was completely stripped back. It was the country, Westmoreland, Saint Elizabeth border for any Jamaicans listening. Um, the Jamaica that I knew, you know, the Jamaica that my father and my grandparents came from um country and you know without the conveniences that make life easier and also kind of disconnect you I, I think in some way to there's a there's a there's a gift in in the earthiness like there's a gift in yeah, simplicity, which I think we miss out on sometimes in the West. And so there was all of that, you know, like the the quiet, seven o'clock, it was like you couldn't hear a thing apart from crickets. And sometimes the power would cut and it's completely dark. And, you know, you're in the country, so large lizards and huge red ants and Oh, cockroaches occasionally <laughs> you know like 
being faced with the fears, you know, and it was just me, my son and I for that period. So it's like being fed, being confronted with, with the fears and needing to, the fear of the quiet, you know, the fear of what showed up, the things that you push down when you can turn on Netflix and get lost in Bridgerton, um, you know, that you can push down when you can order a pizza and have it numb you in the way that fast food does and stuff down the feelings. And if it's just you and the dark, and yet, you know, you step outside your room and step onto your balcony and the sky is just like a light with stars. You know, and the beauty takes your breath away and you've never felt so alone in equal measure. Like, that's truth. Like, that's real. Like, that's real without all of the man-made stuff. And in that space of of just strip backness, you get to feel. You get to feel the stuff that you've been avoiding that's... that's maybe you've just skimmed the surface of and that you know the gift is that the in the feeling of it you become liberated from it and you're open you know more life is opening up and a capacity to your heart opens to love more to contribute more to experience to receive love and receive life because you weren't afraid of the dark that's what happened. This podcast is sponsored by Mindset Shift, a leadership development company focused on helping you lead from the inside out, not from the outside in. We work one-on-one -on -one with senior leaders in organizations. We work directly with HR and other parts of organizations to help you create an authentic culture where your words and your values and your actions on the line will help you to navigate the complexity and the chaos that we all experience day in and day out. And we have a couple of openings for the one-to-one -one coaching this year, but that's something that you're interested in. If you want to work with a coach who can help you navigate this year to ensure that you're intentional, to take your leadership skills personally and professionally to the next level, Send me an email at hello at mindsetshift.co.uk or just go to website www.mindsetshift.co.uk. Now let's get back into today's episode. Whether you describe it as as a gift, um, really resonates it because there's nothing like there's nothing like being able to. I guess to look into yourself and smile and connect, be whole, like we were talking about earlier on. But actually, and more importantly, be able to know and understand and process all the different feelings rather than having to run away from them, which is what we generally tend to do, which is what we use, like you said, whether it's Netflix, whether it's um, other vices that we kind of use to avoid. And as much as it's a gift, that you listen to you talk about sounds absolutely amazing. 
it's so hard for people to do. I mean, we saw it happen in a pandemic where people were going to stay crazy and because they didn't have those vices anymore and they had to listen to some of those voices and they didn't and they didn't want to do so. And one of the things that's I found really interesting about you and there's a she was a quote or there was a book that someone wrote a very long time ago. And he talked about the fact that a lot of times we provide um, spaces and places for people or services for people for things that we either didn't have or things that we need to heal. And then I look at some of the work that you've done with the Purpose Retreat in, in Jamaica, the self-development programs that you have, obviously the book that you have written and, and added more chapters to. You have been able to help other people find their purpose. You've been able to expose other people to the gift that you describe. And I'm curious for you, when you think about it, is that part of your healing journey to be able to provide other people that those spaces and places and things to be able to read? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it just happens, you know, when you're on your path, it just happens. That's everybody. <laughs> no, no. Like, when you're when you're on your path, when you're on your path, it happens. Like, yeah, when you choose to live, I think, from your heart and from your truth rather than from the inside out rather than outside in, let's say that, then I think it's inevitable because I, I think that all of the experiences that we have, like, perfectly position us for who we're here to be. And I... You know, my friend Sophie Bashford, another author, she says, your healing is your calling. And I think she's absolutely right. Your healing is your calling. And, you know, I think it's it's not coincidence that the industry that I chose to enter into public relations and was so, you know, good at is all about it's in its current form or it's built on the idea of shaping reputation you know protecting against it's all about it's often quite contrived it's about creating an identity which will be pleasing to the audience keeping out the stuff that's not going to be pleasing um and it's time for that to change but i think it you know it doesn't have to be that way but but a lot of it has been that way and i think it's interesting that given that my journey has about been stepping more into truth, I chose uh, an occupation which was really quite contrary to that, to that messaging. So, yeah, I think we, you know, we teach what we need to learn for sure. And it's, it just, it's, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what else I can <laughs> say. So, I, I, yeah, a hundred percent. It's, uh, that. That captures it already. We heal through it. Yeah, it captures it. Yeah, yeah. For me, it actually adds more credibility to the message that you also have. Because I think there are times when people can be like, yeah, but that sounds all great, but you haven't lived the life. You haven't done X, you haven't done Y. And to be able to be like, no, actually, I've, I've been on the other side. I know I understand what this is built on. I've been to the restaurants, I've been to the parties, I've worked with the with the AUs to celebrities and I know what that lifestyle is like, but I also know what's on this side of, 
of the ocean. And it was on this side when I stopped looking through those lens and start to connect to myself. And that makes you a lot more credible. And that makes people want to stop and listen to what you actually have to say because you have been there and you've done that rather than just having it as a, a soundbite. And um, I guess people were thinking, why are you coming back? You just described Jamaica in this beautiful way. It sounds absolutely amazing just being out there. Why are you coming back to England? Same reason I left. Like I, I, I same reason I came here, which is I, I feel called. It just feels like there, that's where I need to be um, for this next chapter, and I have more to do. And I, you know, I never expected to miss PR or elements of my media career, but I started to. So yeah, like I'm not attached to the identity of the woman who runs retreats or the woman who was doing like I'm I'm not and so like I can just pick up this other part of myself which you know wants to create in that space and contribute and 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 really be a bridge for storytellers you know for the stories and the messages and the individuals and entities which can you know can can help us to move forward as a as a society and as a humanity and yeah i i i am clarifying my role within that um and it's very exciting are there any fears as you come back as you step back into this industry um around how it might change or shape your your view of things? Or is it very much around that actually you are completely grounded in the wholeness and fullness of who you are right now? It's more around you bringing that energy, like I said, leaking from the inside out, not the outside, and bringing that energy to the industry to showcase something different. I'm not afraid of being led astray. You know, I'm too, like, long in the tooth. I think, like, I, I, you know, I'm, I know who I am. I'm not, I'm not afraid of that at all. Um, I know who I am. I know what I stand for. Are there fears around, you know, getting caught up in overworking and, and, and the, the energy of, you know, UK life? Um, yeah, they, they, I, you know, for sure they come up. I have, I have fears for sure. Um, but I think ultimately it's it's about, you know, as long as I stay anchored into the the practices and the environment that keep me aligned, I'll be fine. And 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 ultimately like my reputation with myself is is more important than any other reputation. And if I keep that as my sort of lighthouse. I can't go, I can't veer off. And if I change my mind, I can come back. You can. Right? Read about choice. So it's like, it's not, it's not that deep. It's like, we make it more complicated than it, it needs to be. How are you defining success? How do you define success, actually? Let me put it in, in present terms. How do you define success in the way that you live, the way that you show up, day in, day out, or even looking to 
this next chapter as you come back. Success for me is how true am I being to myself? How, yeah, how true am I being to myself? And, and everything comes off the back of that. If I'm being really honest about the mother I'm being, the, you know, daughter I'm being, the friend I'm being, the leader I'm being, then I'll be, I'll have enough presence to see gaps in my integrity and then I can take actions to close those gaps and you know to step into oh I'm not showing up as the kind of mum I want to be let me you know spend more quality time that if I'm not showing up as that whatever it might be it starts with like I think that having that presence of of mind and yeah everything comes from that um because from that space, I get to contribute. I get to think about who I'm, who I'm being for others, right? Who I'm being in the world, and rather than just what I can extract. How often does, how often do you say to yourself, "You're proud of who you become"? <sighs> I think the size says not often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not often enough. But I'm getting better at that too. And as I said, this sort of, as we close off this, this chapter here in Jamaica and it's three years and it is a real time of reflection and like, wow, you know, I'm really proud of having done this, you know, having made this choice as a mum for my son and given myself this experience. Um, and it hasn't all been easy by any stretch of the imagination. I'm, I'm proud of who I'm. I really, yeah, I really love who I'm the woman that I am. Not even, I'm not even going to say who I'm becoming. I, I love myself today in a way that I didn't when I got here. And, and, and there's still more and that's okay. Perfectly okay. And it's, it's so good to hear you to say that, that we can think so often we, we don't stop, especially for our individual selves, just be like, well, I was, I've made progress. I've grown, I've changed, I've, I've evolved. And we can easily pour that or see that in other people and say that other people, especially in the space and place that you currently operate in. So it's great to hear you saying that, you know what, it's not enough. Well, at least you're doing it and you can recognize that fact as well because it's, it's important. The way that you speak to yourself and about yourself is far more important than what other people say about you. So it's great to hear you saying that. And I guess that leads me to my last question. Because we're running out of time. And I'm loving this conversation. Um, how do you define leadership? How do I define leadership? The ability to move ego out of the way in order to serve, guide, contribute in a way which is bigger than our own agenda, our own individual small agenda. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the, the capacity to get out to, to to go and move beyond the the smallness that is a part of being a human and step into something bigger and more meaningful um 
in order to be of service to the collective. You're someone who I've always interesting enough without ever meeting you before this kind of came about. You're someone whose name uh, came up in a number of different conversations around. But you know, Jessica, just Jessica does X, Y, Z. And it was always a relation to you being in service of other people. It was always a relation to you making a difference to some people I know who've gone through your program, some people I know who have read your book and has had an impact. Some people I know attended um, some of the seminars or the conferences that you run um, annually. And some people who actually just come across your work or work alongside you know you from way back in the day here PR days. But every single time it's always been something that's been either affirming um, something that's been inspiring and every conversation that we've had and it's always been that way so listen to you describe what leadership means and then me reconciling to what other people have said about you and what I know about you it just makes perfect sense and for me it speaks to the authenticity of who you are and more importantly why I really appreciate this conversation because it's not often that you know, you wrote about this in your book, but it's not often that you hear people willing to realize the gift that they have inside of themselves and go through that difficult journey and talk about it and share so openly, which you do, which also helps other people get curious and hopefully go on that journey for themselves, which is very inspiring. So thank you very much uh, for this conversation. Thank you for all. I guess what you pour out into the world and how you show up, uh, it's your journey being uncovered and unraveled. And like everyone else, we're all a work in progress. But you're sharing that work with other people and people can connect with the realness. Um, just like I have. Uh, we spoke about this interview probably 18 months ago. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I wasn't ready for the, this conversation. <laughs> wow. It was that lovely when we spoke about this interview. But here we are right now at the right time talking and it has been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you for saying that I I received that. And um, yeah, thank you. It means a lot. It means a lot coming from you. Thank you. This is Everyday Leadership. See you next week. While you're still recovering from that amazing conversation, let me give you a quick preview of what we got coming up next week. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. I mean, I'm not going to say that the reason I'm sitting here today is just because of luck and nothing to do with hard work. I mean, I work, I work bloody hard. But I think what I did realise quite earlier on was that that, that the curiosity to, to look at different things was really important. I did have a curiosity, and I think because my formal education at school was so poor, you know, I left thinking, you know, I was stupid and I couldn't do this and that. And actually the education journey I went on gave me the confidence. And it, it is often about the confidence to, you know, to walk into a space that you don't feel is inclusive for you, to have a conversation with someone about something you don't know about, to be able to put yourself in that position, to be curious, does re require a level of confidence because you're by definition insecure when you're in an environment you, you don't feel comfortable in.